Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. I welcome you to our brand new series that we're starting this morning entitled 23 and Me. Now, I know what some of you are wondering right now. You're wondering if this series is going to be about ancestry, right? So I was tempted to actually provide with our handout this morning a personal Q-tip for each of you, just to throw you off the trail. But I promise you there's not going to be any cheek swabs in this series, no DNA testing, although out of sheer curiosity, how many of you here have ever used the 23andMe DNA kit or have used Ancestry.com? Can I see your hands if that's you and you've done that? All right, very good. A few of us have. How many of you that have just raised your hands would say, well worth it, I would encourage people to do it? Can I see your hands? All right, good. Good to know. Um, I will say this, as I'm getting older, uh, several things are happening to me. Uh, Some of those things I would prefer not to share with you this morning. Um, But one of the things that's happening to me is I am becoming more and more appreciative about the Word of God, especially passages like Psalm 23. The older that I'm getting, I think the more that I'm realizing uh, the richness and the depth of God's love that is presented to us in passages like Psalm 23. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm coming to a, a new book, One of the very first things that I do is I like to learn a little bit about the author. I like to learn a little bit about the timeline as to when the book was written. I like to know the purpose behind this text. In fact, I think for me, I typically decide on whether I'm going to read her book or not based upon what I learn about the author, what I learn about the timeline, what I learn about the purpose of the writing. And that usually helps me determine whether this is a book that I'm interested in reading or not. So before we dive in to Psalm 23, I want you to learn a little bit about its author and a little bit about the timeline and when Psalm 23 was penned. So David is the author of Psalm 23. And what you first of all need to know about David is that David was the son of a shepherd. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel the prophet is going to the house of Jesse to actually anoint a new king. And God said, you're going to find the new king in the house of Jesse. So he goes there and he says to Jesse, bring all of your sons before me. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. He, Samuel, asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Most scholars believe that David penned the words of Psalm 23 when he was caring for and keeping watch of Jesse, his dad's flock, in Bethlehem. Which would have placed David somewhere at the age of probably 16 or 17 years of age. Now, I just want you to wrap your mind around this for a moment. Perhaps the most beloved psalm that we have in Scripture, in fact, 
probably one of the most significant texts of Scripture that we have, was penned by a teenager. And I think what it proves is this. God can use any person that he so desires if that person will listen and obey. God is no respecter of persons. God does not choose us based on our gender. He doesn't choose us based on our ethnicity. God does not choose us based on our age. God can choose at any point to inspire us and use us. And he inspires David to pen the words as the son of a shepherd. Second thing you need to know about the author is that David goes on to be anointed king and he becomes known as the shepherd king of Israel. First king that has ever been identified this way. And it actually put him in stark contrast with Saul who was the previous king. In fact, 2 Samuel actually tells us this. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse number 2. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one, David, who really led the forces of Israel. And notice this. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. Before David was ever Israel's leader, David was first Israel's shepherd. In fact, it's important we know this, that before David ever became a king, David's a shepherd. And I would submit to us this morning, before David is a shepherd, David is a sheep. In other words, he's a follower of God. And here's why that's so important. For me personally, I am so honored to be a pastor shepherd. It's one of the great privileges of my life, but it is not my identity. It is not who I am. It is what I do. But who I am is that I am a son of God, and I am a sheep of God. And I must never reverse that order. Because if I am not the kind of sheep God desires me to be, I will never be the pastor shepherd God desires for me to be. Before I could ever be a trustworthy shepherd, I must be first a trusting sheep that puts my trust in the shepherd God. So this is what we're going to do. This morning, before we zoom in to Psalm 23, we're going to zoom out. And we're going to take a wider aerial view of this psalm because there's several observations that I want to make as I lead us into this series. Here's the first one. Psalm 23 is actually a microcosm of the entire Bible. Psalm 23 presents to us what life is like with God. So the two most common motifs that the Scripture uses to actually characterize our relationship with God is the father with his children and is the shepherd with his sheep. Those are the two most common motifs the Scripture uses. So last weekend, Pastor Life talked about the fatherhood of God. God is a good, good father. But God is also a good, good shepherd. That's not just the message of Psalm 23. That's the message of the entire Bible. Here's the second thing you need to do. You need to think of Psalm 23 as a movie trailer. 
So what is the purpose of a movie trailer? It is to give you just a little taste, a little foreshadowing, a snapshot of what you can expect in the movie. And actually, every trailer has one intended purpose, to entice you to buy the ticket and get to the theater. That's the purpose. Well, you can think of Psalm 23 as a movie trailer of sorts, because what Psalm 23 does is it's intended to entice us, to inspire us, to excite us about the possibilities and promises of life with God, both here and now and in all eternity. It's to give us a foretaste of what that relationship looks like. Here's the third thing you need to know about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is the most personal of all the Psalms. Dare I say, Psalm 23 is the most intimate of all Psalms. Because Psalm 23 focuses on our relationship. And relationship is all about how two things, two objects, two people connect with one another and interact and are interdependent on one another. And that's exactly what Psalm 23 does. Psalm 23 lifts out the relational aspect of what life is like with God and it's all about intimacy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read all six verses this morning to get us started in the series. But here's what I want you to do while I read it. I want you this morning to notice every single time the word me or a variation of the word me appears in these six verses. Here we go. Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is all about intimacy, hence the title of our series, 23 and Me. Now this morning, I know that we can read this and we can think that we are the main focus of Psalm 23. But truth is, we aren't. While the Bible portrays us as sheep, the Bible presents to us the shepherd. And listen, we are not the lead character in the story. The lead character, the lead role, belongs to the shepherd. 
He's the one doing the leading. He's the one doing the initiating. You and I are simply supporting cast. We are simply recipients of what the Bible says that the lead character, God as our shepherd, does for us. And so this morning, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the role of God as our shepherd. Let's read verse number one together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Just nine words comprise the first verse of Psalm 23. Just nine. And yet those nine words are arguably the most powerful words that have ever been penned. In fact, those words have been spoken and written millions and millions and millions and millions of times since they were first penned. These are timeless words. They transcend culture. They they transcend language. These are eternal words. They are just as appropriate and applicable today as the day they were written. And they'll be just as applicable tomorrow and in the years to come as they were when they were first written. And all we're going to do this morning is we're just going to focus on the first five of them. Next week, we'll focus on the other four. But this week, let's just focus on the first five. The Lord is my shepherd. David does not write this from the vantage point of a skilled shepherd, though he was. David actually is writing Psalm 23 from the vantage point of a dependent sheep. He had been out on the fields. His responsibility was to care for the sheep. He knew his responsibilities. But one day out in the field, he's sitting there and God inspires him to remind him that he's actually a sheep. And as sheep, this is just what he had done for the sheep as the shepherd. God had done for him. So before we talk about the role of the shepherd, I think it's important you know a little something about the nature of sheep. Let me give you just three quick things. First of all, did you know of all livestock, sheep are the most temperamental? They're finicky. I mean, everything in their climate and their environment and everything has to be just right or they won't eat. They'll just lay down. They are stubborn, but they can be super gentle and caring. Sheep bite when they get out of sorts, and they are temperamental. The other thing you need to know about sheep is they're timid. Sheep are easily frightened and easily spooked. It does not take much for a sheep to get out of sorts, to become anxious, And so what's the role of the shepherd? The role is to make sure that the sheep have a safe place and that they feel calm. Sound a little bit like us? That sometimes in life we become overwhelmed by the smallest things and no matter how we may portray ourselves as strong and courageous, the reality is it doesn't take much to throw us in life, does it? It doesn't take much to get us a little out of sorts, to get us internally and emotionally spooked and overcome and overwhelm. Third thing about sheep is they're prone to wander. 
in the best of circumstances, in the best of care, sheep still have a tendency to wander off on their own. And so you know one of the first things that a shepherd does? When a sheep is born or when he purchases sheep, the first thing that he does is he takes one of its ears and he marks it. He places a mark that is lasting on the ear of the sheep. What's the purpose? The purpose is to make sure that that sheep understands and that everyone that sees that sheep understands that sheep has been branded and that sheep belongs. That sheep has a fold that it belongs to. There's a shepherd that paid a price for that sheep. And so if that sheep wanders off, you can easily identify who that sheep belongs to. And here's the thing. This is the deal about the mark. The mark never goes away. It will last until that sheep dies. Now look at what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. Verse 13, because of what Christ did, all you others too, all of you Jews, non-Jews that thought you were not part of God's fold, because of what Christ did, all you others too, that's us, who heard the good news about how to be saved and trusted Christ, were marked as belonging to Christ by the Holy Spirit, who long ago had been promised to all of us Christians. Here's what that means. That means when God looks at you, God does not see your failures. When God looks at you, God does not see your most recent conduct or behavior. When God looks at you, he doesn't see all of your flaws. What God sees is a mark. And that mark you didn't pay for. You were purchased like I was purchased with an incredible price. We've been bought with a price. And we've been marked by the Holy Spirit so that God looks at us and says, I see the mark. You've been identified. You belong to my fold and to my flock. And nothing in life will change what I have done to purchase you for me. So that's God's role. The Lord is our shepherd. And it's a really powerful word that, that is used by David in Psalm 23.1. In fact, that word shepherd is actually used elsewhere. That same word in the Hebrew culture, it is used elsewhere to speak of your closest friend. So today in our culture, we may call this our best friend. That's the exact same word that is used of shepherd in the Hebrew language. It's a word that also can be translated closest or best friend. So I shared a number of uh, weeks back that I had just gotten all of my childhood pictures. And, and in those childhood pictures, I had all of my class from kindergarten through sixth grade, all my classmates, the school picture. Well, my sixth grade school class picture, I had taken and written the name of every student in my class, every classmate. So I, I remembered some of them when I saw them by name, but many of them I would have forgotten. And so I'm looking through it and I'm, I'm identifying who each person was in the photo. And here's what I did. I drew an arrow from my name 
to a guy in my class in sixth grade by the name of Mark Hartz. I put an arrow from Gil Dukeman to Mark Hartz, and I wrote beside that arrow, my best friend. When you're a kid, you've got to have a best friend, right? You've got to know who is my best friend. And here's the deal. Not every best friend is a permanent friend. I mean, in this life, not every best friend is a lasting friend. Mark Hartz was not one of the groomsmen in my wedding. Come to think of it, Mark Hartz never even attended my wedding. So a best friend in sixth grade may not be a lasting friend, but here's what Psalm 23 verse 1 suggests. The Lord is my shepherd. Let me say it another way. Let me nuance this. The Lord is my best friend. The Lord is my BFF. He's not just your best friend. He will be your best friend forever. And that's what David here suggests. A shepherd is not what God does. The shepherding aspect of God is who God is. Which is the reason, perhaps, that when Jesus wanted to grab imagery to actually introduce himself to the world as the incarnate God. He rips the language of Psalm 23. That's the imagery he chooses to use when he introduces himself to the world, that I'm the incarnate God. Here's what it is. John chapter 10, verse number 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus could have chosen all sorts of analogies. He could have grabbed any imagery he wanted. And yet, what does he use? He uses the language of Psalm 23. He says, I am what David got to know God as. But now I have come to the earth as God in flesh. And I am now standing among you as that good shepherd. What was it he had in mind? What was it Jesus is trying to convey here. I think Jesus is trying to point to the functions of the shepherd. Because every good shepherd served several key functions. And the first and maybe one of the most significant was that the shepherd was responsible to gather the sheep, to collect them, to bring them together in the fold. That was the responsibility of the sheep. Now listen, God is the shepherd in Psalm 23. We are the sheep. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 53 says. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. It doesn't really make a difference this morning what kind of home you were raised in. It doesn't make a difference whether you have been a churchgoer since childhood or whether you are a new attender to Grace Crossing Church. It really doesn't make a difference where you are in the spiritual continuum. All of us, at some point in life, have strayed. All of us have wandered away. All of us mentally, emotionally, even physically have gone our own path at times, including me. None are righteous, not one. All of us have done it. And so Jesus 
uses this language when he tells this parable in Luke chapter 15. Here's what he says. Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I've been thinking about this passage this week. When I was 16 years old, God came and found me. I don't know why he did, but I was lost. And at 16 years old, God found me and he put me on his shoulders and he carried me home to him. He carried me to his fold. And I became one of his sheep, dependent on him. And God has done that for every single one of us that are here. Because as the good shepherd, his first responsibility is to gather us. He doesn't just gather us, but he also governs us. Sheep need governed. In fact, of all livestock, there are none that need more attention, constant attention, and more meticulous care than sheep do. The shepherd's responsibility is to watch over, to govern them. He also is responsible to actually ground them, which means he has a responsibility to feed them, to nourish them, to nurture them. In fact, he needs to make sure that those sheep are guided to the right pasture in the right seasons where they can feed freely. Because if he doesn't do his job, the sheep become prone to infection, and prone to weakness and sickness of all sorts if the shepherd doesn't ground the sheep well. The shepherd also has a responsibility to guide them. In fact, Psalm 23 is all about what God does to guide and to lead us. And the final responsibility that I think Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm the good shepherd, is the good shepherd is responsible to guard his sheep. Actually, that is perhaps the most important job that the shepherd has. Because sheep are prone to attack from unwanted dangers and threats and predators. They're vulnerable. And so the shepherd knows that his job is to make sure that at all hours he's watching over. In fact, nighttime is the time where sheep are most vulnerable. So a good shepherd will often lay right at the gate of the pen. Not only to keep the sheep in, but to make sure that the wolves don't get in. The shepherd's role is not just to feed the sheep. It's also to guard and protect the sheep. To make sure that the sheep are in the best possible place to be cared for and to grow healthy and strong the way God. God created them to. Jesus had that in mind. 
Because not only did he say, I'm the good shepherd, but notice in verse 11 of John's gospel, chapter 10, what he also says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What's Jesus thinking about there? He's thinking about the role of the shepherd who's going to place himself in harm's way so that we could have the best possible hope of a future. He's thinking about the job of the shepherd to protect, to guard, to watch over, to keep out predators, to make sure that the flock is safe and healthy. Now, of all of the things that I think about the Good Shepherd, I spent a lot of time this last week thinking about what it's like to have the Good Shepherd doing all of those functions in my own life. So back at the end of March, many of you know I traveled down to Florida to be reunited with my mom who I'd been estranged from for 30 years. The first time we had spent any time together and actually were able to connect not just in a physical way of being present with each other, but to connect emotionally in a way that all of my life I had longed for. Well, since I left there in the end of March, my mom has been out of the hospital, in and out of the hospital, um, on three different occasions. The most recent occasion happened when she had just been released from the hospital on a Monday evening. She was dropped off after 6 p.m. at her home. And somewhere during the night, my mom wandered out of her condominium. And she was nowhere to be found. Nobody in my family could reach her. So a neighbor was called. A neighbor came over. Her door was open. But she was gone. The police were contacted. Detectives came in. They made it a crime scene. They brought in over the next day all sorts of assets to be able to try to track her down. This is making local news that they're looking for this lost, nearly 80-year-old woman. They were searching a canal near her home. They had brought in search dogs, sniff dogs. They had helicopters overhead looking. And we had been updated by the detectives. And what turned in to just a few short hours became... 36, somewhere between 36 to 40 hours that she had become disillusioned. And she was out in North Fort Myers. Now, if you're wondering what the weather's like in North Fort Myers this time of year, we're talking 85 to 95 degree temperatures and very high humidity. And she was found nearly 40 hours later in a storage shed on her condominium complex that was unlocked. When they found her, her temperature was 104.3 degrees. She was completely unaware where she was. And she was then hospitalized again. And our family, my brothers and sisters, whom many of them I've not been in relationship with, we got connected and we began to talk about what needs to happen. That my mom can no longer be alone. And so for the last nearly six weeks now, We've all been taking shifts and taking turns and going down and trying to provide support for my mom until we can get her moved to eastern Pennsylvania, hopefully by the second week of July is our goal. So this past week, I was down in Florida 
caring for my mom along with my sister. It was one of the most physically draining and emotionally taxing weeks that I've had. Watching my mom's condition decline, feeling a sense of her helplessness, her vulnerability. And I went expecting it was going to be very difficult just being present with her. What I did not expect was some of the family of origin issues that were going to surface this past week. Some things that I was brought into that really triggered me emotionally and kept me really depending on my good shepherd to be present with me. I could have never prepared for the things that I was going to step into. But my shepherd led the way. He was there before I got there. And he was able to help me contain as I step back into some emotional issues with family of origin things, we talk a lot about going back here to break the power of the past. Well, I'm, I'm being, again, challenged to do that. I'm being challenged that I'm going to journey through some walls in my life. But I won't do it alone. I've got a good shepherd that's there. He was there in Florida. He was there when I boarded a plane on Friday. And I left my mom behind knowing She's going to be in a very difficult place with some crazy family dynamics that I cannot solve for her. As I boarded the plane, I reminded myself that I can't be her shepherd. I'm her son. But the Lord is her shepherd. He can be her shepherd. And that's the only hope that she has is to make the Lord her shepherd. And I want you to know this morning, my prayer for my mom is my prayer for you, all of you. My desire for every one of us is that we will personally know the intimacy of our good shepherd. The one who is with us. The one who leads us even through the valleys of the shadow of death. He's there. He's guiding us. He's protecting us. He's comforting us. So how do you experience this? Well, this morning, if you cannot say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, then I want to tell you three things you need to do to be able to say that. First of all, you're going to have to trust. You're going to have to trust. You're going to have to trust that God knows what you don't. You're going to have to trust that God sees what you can't. And you're going to have to trust that God is good even when you feel bad things happening all around you. You know, I got on a plane on Friday, and I'm reminded every time I get on a plane, I trust things I cannot see. I don't know anything about the pilots that are leading this thing. I have no idea about the mechanics who, who worked on this plane. I don't even know how it works. I just trust it'll get me from point A to point B, right? And you know what? When you come to God, you can't see everything. In fact, you can't see him. But he makes his presence felt. And he makes his presence known as we trust him. The second thing it's going to require of you, it's going to require followership. Listen this morning. Jesus did not come to be admired. He did not come to be respected. He, he didn't even come to be worshipped. He came to be followed. That was always his invitation. Every single time it was, follow me. 
So notice what he says in this same passage in John 10 when he talks about being the good shepherd. Verse number three and four. The sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks out ahead of them and they follow him. Why? Because they're close enough to him to know his voice. Listen, this is the followership. You cannot know or hear the voice of the shepherd unless you are close enough to him to hear him speak. You don't follow him at a distance. You follow him with closeness. Which brings us to the final thing it's going to require of us. Not just trust and followership, but if you're going to call him your shepherd, it's going to require intimacy. Now, I know, I know you men here don't like that word, but it simply means shared experiences. And you know what shared experiences do? They let you know and become known. Notice what Jesus says in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and my sheep know me. It isn't enough for us to say, I know who Jesus is. It, it isn't enough to say, I know God because I was raised in a, in a Christian home. It's not enough. To be able to declare what David declared, to be able to say of Jesus, that is my good shepherd, it's going to require that we are known by him and that we know him. And that word know does not mean intellectual knowledge. It's not head knowledge. The word in the Greek means experiential knowledge. God wants you to experience him. And guess what? God wants to experience you. He wants to experience everything about your life the good, the difficult, the challenging. Listen, he's not intimidated by any of it. And that's why we should bring him into every area of our life and say, God, I'm sharing my deepest pain with you. I'm sharing my emotional wounds with you. I am sharing all of the pain of my experiences with you because you're my good shepherd and you know me better than anyone does. You created me. So I apologize for being a little emotional this morning. But this passage has been made real to me this week. Because I've lived it. And I want you to live it. I want you to know a good, good shepherd. And I want you to experience him for yourself. Let's pray. Jason Norwood's going to come and close us. But before he prays, and gives the benediction, I, I want to just ask you this morning, do you want to know Jesus as your good shepherd? Is that your desire? If it is, slip your hand up, please. Let me see it. And I just want us to remember you in prayer this morning. If you say, I want God to be my good shepherd. I, I want to walk with him in the intimacy of a relationship. Are there others this morning? I'm going to say, that's me. Thanks so much for your honesty. Jason, would you lead us, please? Lord God, we come to you this morning knowing, Lord Jesus, that you know the depths of our hearts and of our souls, Lord God. 
and where we're yearning for you. You say in your word to be still and to know that I am God. Help us to be still today, Lord God, to hear your voice, Lord God. And despite whatever any circumstance that we have, Lord God, that we feel is weighing us down, Lord God, that is hurting us, Lord Jesus, that make us feel like we cannot go on, Lord God, help us to remember that you are our shepherd, Lord God. And because we know that you are our shepherd, Lord God, we don't have to worry about anything. Not our finances, Lord God, not our relationships, not our job, Lord God. You will provide anything that we need, Lord God. Help us to trust you as our shepherd, Lord God. And praise you in advance, Lord Jesus, for the things that you're going to do, Lord God. Sometimes we can't stand. Lord, sometimes we're hurting so hard we can't kneel, Lord Jesus. Help us to believe and know, Lord God, that you will meet us where we stand in our circumstance, Lord God. Help us to have a wonderful week, Lord God, and take Psalm 23 with us, Lord Jesus, as we journey, Lord God, through whatever you take us through. In your precious and holy name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.